I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, June 28th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance and tech, all in less than seven minutes. So, Jay, we are recording this on Monday, and we're hosting our first ever Peak Debate tonight. And the topic is, is Elon Musk buying Twitter bad for democracy? And we've got Navita Lang, our Toronto Star columnist and bestselling author Jamil Javani debating. So I guess I'd love to take your temperature on the on the topic. I think it's bad for democracy. I don't know if I've mentioned that on the podcast before. I've definitely mentioned it to you in private, Brett. I'm not sure billionaires owning every single media outlet is a great idea. In this one in particular, he's an aggressive billionaire who likes to have his voice heard. So I'm not sure it's great. What do Peak Pal say in the lead up to the event? So we poll everyone coming out to the debate before the debate, and we're going to poll them after. So I'll share with you the after results. But right now, we have about... Uh, 60% of Pete Pals agree with you that Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter is bad for democracy, and 30% disagree, 10% are undecided. However, about 95% of people are willing to change their minds. So we'll have to see if any of the debaters' arguments are so compelling that they convince other Pete Pals to, to move. Well, that'll be interesting to find out. Good luck as we record this. You're probably heading out shortly to set up the event. Good luck tonight. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate it. And aside from that assault on our democracy, <laughs> what do we have for Pete Pals today? Well, for our first story, the G7 vows to continue to counter Russia in Ukraine. For our second story, first it was bees, now berries are at risk. And for our third story, the Amazon Alexa will be able to replicate other voices. For our first story, on Sunday, G7 nations said they were standing with Ukraine for, quote, unquote, as long as it takes. This in their fight against Russia. On Monday, they translated those words into action with a plan to cap the price of Russian oil, depriving Vladimir Putin of key resources and revenue. But we haven't talked about the war in Ukraine in a while on the podcast. What is the latest with the conflict and the G7? So the G7 is meeting right now. They were meeting over the weekend. And at the meeting, they pledged to work together to fixing the price of Russian oil on the global market by securing an international agreement to only buy below a price cap. Now, officials are still determining the exact plan of what it will look like, but it would likely involve enforcing the price cap by a certain services necessary for trading oil. For example, if oil was being sold above the cap, insurers, most of which are based in Europe, could be prohibited from insuring its shipment, effectively blocking it from being moved around. Now, G7 officials hope the impact of the price cap would be twofold, limiting Russia's oil revenue and lowering astronomical energy prices for Western consumers. Plus, following a few close calls, Russia is heading for a much ballyhooed, that's a fun word, ballyhooed debt default after failing to pay $100 million worth of interest on government bonds. In the short term, this means essentially nothing. The market has already adjusted to the long expected default and Russia's already been cut off from borrowing, so no bad credit rating necessary. But there could be long-term effects after the war ends that will make recovery very, very difficult. Now, here's why this all matters. The endless Western sanctions on Russia have produced mixed results thus far. Sure, the country's economy is expected to shrink 10% this year, and citizens may never be able to eat a real McDonald's Big Mac again. Perhaps one of the bigger tragedies for the Russian people, just besides the ongoing casualty in Ukraine. But Russia has been able to prop itself up through energy revenue, the profits of which have helped make the ruble the best performing currency of the year. Who would have thought that could change if the G7 can put a global ceiling on the price of Russian oil? For our second story, we've all heard calls to save the bees. I, I sure have. And now we might be hearing calls to save the berries too, as declining bee populations mean Canadian fruit crops aren't getting the pollination they need. Jay, 
this is bad timing. I really got into Ontario strawberries this weekend. I ate three boxes full. So I'm a huge, I'm a huge Canadian fruit fan. And so what's going on with this whole berries and bees issue? Well, Brett, Canadian beekeepers have on average lost half of their colonies this year in the face of adverse weather conditions and a particularly destructive parasite. This has caused a chain reaction that threatens to reduce Canada's fruit and veggie crops as honeybee pollinator farmers depend on are in short supply. Now, according to Statistics Canada's most recent report, there are 11,785 beekeepers in Canada. We thank them for their service, tending to over 746,000 colonies producing honey and being rented to farms. One hard-hit crop that's a major economic contributor? Blueberries. The humble fruit is actually Canada's largest fruit export, representing 61% of the total value of fruits Canada shipped out in 2020 and earning $274 million on the domestic market alone. So, Brett, why is this... Okay, you ready for a bad pun? Are you ready? Yep. Yeah. So, Brett, why is this a very big deal? Beautiful. Great job. So, the total annual economic contribution of honeybees through pollination is estimated to be as much as $5.5 billion per year, believe it or not, as of 2017. Now, if they continue to die off at this pace, we'll see smaller agricultural yields, higher food prices, which is exactly what we need right now, not, and more global food insecurity. Canada has imported 320,000 bees this year to replenish its pollinating power, but some experts say we'd be better off building up our homegrown population of over 860 native bee species to take the sting out of the pollination problem. You're on a roll. Yeah, it's not great. For our third and final story, Amazon has announced some updates to Alexa that you're going to either find creepy or cool, or maybe creepy and cool. And we aren't going to judge you either way on this podcast, but the smart speaker will eventually be able to mimic real people's voices, including those people who are, well, no longer living. Brett, the PayPals are probably tired of hearing our voices on the podcast, but what other voices can Alexa do now? Well, first, I want to ask you, what voice would you get Alexa to replicate? I would like James Earl Jones to get a little Darth Vader in the Alexa. That would be both cool and creepy. Yeah, that's fun. I'd probably go with Connor Obers from Bright Eyes, if you're familiar with him. He's got a very distinct voice and it would be fun to have. So here's how it works. Alexa will use artificial intelligence to generate copycat voices based on just one minute of recorded audio. Now, in a demo of the new voice capabilities presented last week, Alexa reads to a child in the voice of his late grandmother. That's weird stuff, Jay. Though we have to say it doesn't sound quite right. And here's why it's happening. Amazon wants people to use Alexa as much as possible, obviously, and believes that equipping it with human-like empathy, those are their words, will encourage people to interact with it more. Yeah, that's definitely what we need more in the world, FJ, human-like empathy. (laughs) Now, Amazon has had success getting people to put Alexa in their homes, but it hasn't been a major moneymaker, at least so far. Most people use it for built-in functions like playing music or getting the weather forecast, rather than more lucrative features like online shopping. It's hard to shop when you can't see what you're actually buying. But If Amazon can get people to do more of their online activities through Alexa, it will control another powerful channel to, guess what? Sell products, services, and ads, Jay. Yes. But as you can imagine, replicating people's voices raised a number of privacy and security concerns, including the risk of fraudsters copying the voice of a trusted friend or family member to go ahead and scam people. It's like the good old days when you used to have the soundboards that you'd use for prank phone calls. You'd have like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but now it could just be someone's dad. Very weird. Very weird. There's also the question of how someone's voice can be used after they have died and the ethics of replicating it without their consent. And and let me, let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture here. So Amazon is still the dominant player in the smart speaker game, but its market share fell rapidly last year from 64% to 44% 
with both Google and Apple gaining ground. Making Alexa feel a bit more human may be a path forward towards reversing that decline. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readpeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Brett. And Brett, I have a fun fact for you. Yeah, hit me. Since you ate all those strawberries, I have a strawberry fun fact. Did you know strawberries are the only fruit with the seeds on the outside? Wow, I didn't know that, and I was convinced that you were going to tell me that I was going to die or something. Too many <laughs> no, but I'm sure someone will fact check this through Twitter yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or a negative review on Apple Podcast. <laughs> let us know. Let us don't let us know in the reviews. Just tweet at us. <laughs> right, just call us. Please call us. All right, yeah. but have a good day. You too.